The sermon I'm preaching this morning is one I wrote for the occasion of full open worship again in BC earlier this year. Um, it focuses very much on our ability to worship together. Psalm 146 is the text for the sermon, and as I'll explain in the sermon, it's quite possible that this psalm was written by the exiles just after returning from Babylon. In fact, it's thought that the prophets Haggai and Zechariah are the authors. So we'll read at this time from the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 5, the verses 1 through 5, and then chapter 6, the verses 13 through 15. Ezra 5, beginning at verse 1, and there we read, Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shetharbozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish the structure? They also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. And scripture goes on to describe the letter that was sent by the governor of the province to King Darius and King Darius's response. Chapter 6, verse 13, after the response of Darius has been received. Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shether Bozani and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. I should read on yet to verse 18. I guess that's not going to be on the screen then. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses." And then the text for this morning's sermon, Psalm 146, where we read in God's word the following. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in the son of man in whom there is no salvation, When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. 
The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. And the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. In response to the sermon, after the prayer of application, we'll be singing Psalm 146. Dear children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, guests, thinking back over the past 18 months, especially the most recent winter and spring, if there's one thing that we all missed when it comes to worship, it was praising the Lord together, in the sense of hearing each other praise the Lord. Online worship kind of works, but one thing that really suffered is the singing. So hard to sing when you're on your own or just with a few of you, and especially when singing isn't your strength and you rejoice more during worship in the singing of others. Now, where worshiping online is concerned, that was the one thing that I heard most often mentioned, the singing. Singing at home, on your own, with just the two or three of you, it just doesn't work. And even if you're doing it outside, as we were in Willoughby for the longest time, it isn't the greatest if the group is small and if it's dispersed. Faith needs a building. For singing needs a building. And to reflect on our singing, we turn to Psalm 146. It's the first of the five psalms at the close of the Bible book psalms that are known as the Hallel or the Hallelujah Psalms. They have that name because Psalms 146 through 150 all begin and end with the word Hallelujah. It's a Hebrew word meaning praise the Lord, and that's how the ESV then translates it. Now you can't tell in a modern English version that the word praise is plural. If you have an older English version, you can, because then it says praise ye the Lord. And ye, that's plural for thou, for thee. If I may, you could translate it this way, I guess. Y'all, praise the Lord. Yeah, it does say that in my manuscript. That's why we're assembled in worship, congregated in one place. We're here to praise the Lord, all of us together. Now, Psalm 146 through 150 follows on the psalmiest of psalms. Psalm 145 serves as the doxology to the book of Psalms. The doxology, a word of praise. In Psalm 146 through 150, they're the epilogue, they're the encore, they're the doxology to the doxology. Book of Psalms consists of five books. Each book ends actually with a doxology. When we sang Psalm 106, verse 23, in the Genevan Psalter, that's actually the doxology to the fourth book in the book of Psalms. Well, Psalm 146 to 150, that's the doxology to the doxology of the fifth book. And in a sense, it's the doxology to the whole book of Psalms. There's songs of praise about praise, about the reason for praising God. Now, Jewish tradition 
has it that Psalm 146 was written by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. They're attributed to these two post-exilic prophets in Greek and Latin translations of the Bible. Now, there's no way of knowing this for sure, but it certainly makes good sense for this to be so. For one, the book of Psalms as we have it today dates to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. That's when the collection of 150 Psalms was put together as we have it today. And so it would make sense for that first encore to date from immediately after the exile. Further, we read from Ezra two passages that, well, that, that tell us what the times were like. Local and regional provincial authorities were resisting the rebuilding of the temple. The people felt pressured to let the worship of God slide. Then God sends Haggai and Zechariah as prophets. They call the people to, to put their hands to the task, get that temple built, resume the worship of God as the book of Moses prescribes it. And then God made the authorities favorably inclined toward his people. Through his prophets, he called the people to, to put their faith in him and the work prospered. The temple was rebuilt and worship could resume as it is written in the book of Moses. And when you think of Psalm 146 in that context, it, it really fits. And that's why it fits in our context as well. For we're quite like those post-exilic Israelites. We've had issues with the government, especially the provincial government, over the fairness and the, and the justness of how churches were being dealt with. And it isn't over yet, even now. Imagine if the authorities determine that you've got to be vaccinated or, or you have to undergo rapid testing and, and wear a face mask in all public gatherings of 50 people or more, and then we're to apply that to worship services. Just like the Israelites were unsure of their provincial governors and the King Darius even as emperor overall, we've been wondering. Wondering about sphere sovereignty, about charter rights, just like the returned exiles figured the command of God should see them build and the decree of Cyrus gave them legal standing. And the decree of King Cyrus had the people trust the authorities, but, but then King Artaxerxes stopped the building and, and now King Darius had commanded the building of the temple to resume. Yet there was a tendency there to, to seek the approval of the authorities, but at the same time there was doubt. Doubt whether you should really trust the authorities. And Psalm 146 hits on that theme. Rather than put your trust in human authorities, put your trust in the Lord your God. You're thinking about it, maybe Psalm 146 was written for the very occasion of when the temple was completed and when it went back into service. That's speculative, but the psalm certainly fits that context, and so it has a message for us today as well. We'll hear the good news of God this morning. I phrase it as a command, praise be to God, the Lord, our help and hope. Praise be to God, the Lord, our help and hope. We're going to see how this message is revealed in the structure of the psalm and then how this message is conveyed in the substance of the psalm. Praise be to God, the Lord, our help and hope. That's the message of Psalm 146. And it's the message because it's in the middle. When it comes to Hebrew literature, the message is often to be found in the middle, not, not in or near the end, as you would in English literature, or, or stated right at the outset. It's in the middle, 
It's a poetic feature that goes by the name of chiasm. Chi, that's the Greek letter that looks like our X. It's a cross on its side with a central point. As to how that works, here's a neat example I recently came across. Think of the phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's chiasm. The repetition of the word tough in the middle and the word going on the outside. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Now, you could have said, the tough get going when the going gets tough. But notice how that shifts the focus from the tough to the going. Now, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. The focus is on the tough. To give you a bit of an appreciation for this, how this works in, in Hebrew poetry and how that's indeed the message of Psalm 146, we're going to explore this somewhat. It'll tell us why, for example, Psalm 146 stanza 3 is the favorite stanza of, in, in the Genevan Psalter version. But boys and girls, you think about it, Psalm 146 has five stanzas, and the middle of stanza five, oh, of five is three. Now, in the Bible, Psalm 146 verse 5 has a word order in the original Hebrew that brings the focus to the words help and hope. If I translate the verse sticking to the Hebrew word order, it would read as follows. Blessed is he who has the God of Jacob as his help. His hope is in Yahweh his God. Blessed is he, that's the introductory words. And then at the outside of the line that follows the phrases, we have the phrases, the God of Jacob and Yahweh has God. Those two are in parallel, but they're also chiastic because God is first in the first phrase, God of Jacob, and last in the last phrase, Yahweh has God. Which means that Jacob and Yahweh are a contrasting parallel. And then in the middle of the line, we have his help, his hope. That's the focal point. That's the middle so this verse is about one's help, one's hope. If I say it once more and just grab the key words, it runs like this. God, Jacob, help, hope, Yahweh, God. And the beauty here is that God is on the outside. God surrounds it all like a shield. That Jacob, Yahweh, as personal names are paralleled to form a contrast. This indicates the personal connection the relationship with God isn't just one of a title or a number, but it involves names. And that relationship is all about, now we get to the middle, about help and hope. Now, I didn't pick verse 5 by accident to illustrate this message in the center kind of thing. I picked it because verse 5 is itself the topical center of Psalm 146. Let me illustrate that. If you take Psalm 146 as a whole, the bookends are the word hallelujah. The psalm begins and ends with a call to praise the Lord. Then the verses 1 and 2 and verse 10 are parallel as well. There's the parallel of while I have my being and to all generations. And there is a progression from O oh my soul, that's the individual believer, to you O oh Zion. That's the church community. And guess what's right in the middle? Blessed is he who's help and hope. So there's a progression, a line. Oh, my soul, to blessed is he who's help, who's hope, to you, O Zion. Then the verses 3 and 4 are parallel to 5 through 9. 
things get a little bit more complex here because there's parallelism within the parallel. Both the verses 3 and 4 and 5 through 9 have three ideas in them. First, there's the matter of faith. That's the trust in verse 3 and the help and hope in verse 5. Then there's the matter of extent. That's the finiteness of humans in verse 4a and the foreverness of God in the verses 6 and 7. And then there's the matter of ability. All human plans come to nothing while God's work just goes on and on and on. Now, if you're counting verses, you might be thinking, well, then verse 5 is not really in the middle. And that's true. But you also got to remember that with the Bible, the verse numbers were added after Jesus had been on earth. They're not inspired. They're not always a good guide. You can tell that from Psalm 146 in the ESV, given how the last line of verse 7 is actually separated from the first half of verse 7 and added to verse 8. But even then, if you're counting lines, the two lines of verse 5 are still not the center. But here's the beauty of the complexity of poetry. The psalmist dwells on humans for just 2 plus 1 plus 3 lines, verse 3 and 4, and then he talks about God for 2 plus 4 plus 7 lines, the verses 5 through 9. And thereby he's suggesting how much more there is to say about God than there is about humans. And so verse 5 forms the center, not a mathematical center, but in a literary way, a topical center in substance or message. And thus the message, the takeaway for this morning's sermon is, praise be to God the Lord, our help and hope. Because that catches those bookends, the hallelujahs, and it catches the center, help and hope, and it catches that focus of Psalm 146 that focuses God the Lord. So what's this psalm telling us? Well, we'll begin with the center and we'll work our way outwards. Blessed is he. Those words remind the Israelites of the opening words, actually, of the very first psalm. Blessed is the man. And the closing words of the second psalm. Blessed are those. To be blessed, to be happy, to be content, to be doing well. Everybody wants that. It's what we were longing for this past winter, the spring, and, and we figure is now pretty much within reach, at least in a physical and material way. The experience of blessing. Psalm says that's only reserved for those whose help and hope is in the Lord. And those words, help and hope, are very carefully chosen. Help, that's what a person needs who lacks strength or skill. It's a very practical, it's a very hands-on type of thing. And hope is what a person who lacks confidence requires. That's more abstract. That, that's more relational as well. And when you put help and hope together, you cover all of life. Help and hope is the duo that we often see in relation to God. Think, for example, of how God introduces himself in the covenant law. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Lord, that spells Yahweh in the original, that speaks of God's care and of his faithfulness. And then God speaks of his strength. God's care is our hope and God's strength is our help. Going further back in time, you see it reflected in the name Yahweh El Shaddai, 
Lord God Almighty. That's how God addressed himself to Abraham. And if you head in the other direction, think of how the Lord Jesus taught us to address God in prayer as our Father in heaven. Our Father points to God's care and in heaven points to his power and might. Addressing God as our Father in heaven is professing that our hope and our hope are in God. I can also think of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is actually based on the central verses in the book of Lamentation. Those central words say this, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Hope and hope, that's what our world stands in need of in the midst of the current pandemic and, and all the other things that are going on. Help to live from one day to the next when we're anxious, when we're down. And hope to be convinced that there is a future, a future of bliss of blessedness that awaits us. There's purpose. There's a God-given purpose in what we experience by way of challenges and how, how God is, is putting us to the test. In whom is our help and our hope? Ask yourself that question, brothers and sisters. The psalmist says, the God of Jacob and Yahweh his God Two names, two titles that, that bring out how in God's world we're not numbers. And God isn't just a title. There are personal names that point to relationships. Jacob, that name has a, has a dual nuance. It reminds you of the patriarch Jacob, the deceiver. The man who at the age of 70, 70, lay as a fugitive under the stars of heaven at Bethel with just a rock for a pillow. The man who 20 years later at age 90 struggled with God and was finally conquered by God's strength and learned to have his hope not in his own skills but in God's provisions. Only since Neil did Jacob truly have God as his help and hope and then how blessed he was. Jacob is also the name for the nation Israel, especially when it's in a Jacob state, like the people of God in Egypt, or in submission to Midian, or, or to the Philistines, or, or to Assyria, or, or in exile. If you think of Egypt, a slave nation that was doomed to genocide, but then redeemed by the mighty hand of God, God's strength is clearly obvious in the lives of the patriarch Jacob and the people of Israel. He is truly a help. What an encouragement for the people who had just returned from the exile. As the peoples of the land are conspiring against them to prevent them from building the temple. As they feared how authorities might be shutting them down. And what an encouragement for us as well. As we have our freedom, but we do wonder, how long is it going to last this time? Our help is in the God of Jacob. But what about our future? Well, that's where the name in that second phrase is so important. Whose hope is in Yahweh, his God. We're not relying on just any God. We rely on the God who has proven himself almighty to the patriarchs, who had proven himself ever loyal to the Israelites' as nation. He is Yahweh. He is always present. He is always near. He's always there. He's always caring. He's leading. He's guiding. We're called upon him, called upon to rely on him who's proven himself time and time again, but especially at that one time in the middle of time, in the sending of the Son of God, in the human flesh, to save the world 
by dying for sin. Indeed, not only is our God our Savior, but our Savior Jesus is our God. And that gives us hope. And not today's kind of hope, a wish for the future, like I hope it will rain soon, but biblical hope, certainty regarding a reality that isn't seen, certainty regarding a future that is yet to happen. Throughout this past year, we've We've known that God will guide us through it all and that, that in Him we are secure. He is our refuge in times of trouble. He will bring us into a better place. And things are better today, but, but they're not perfect. Things will, be, will become much, much better yet. That's, that's the promise we have in Christ. And yeah, it's in Christ. He is actually the God of Jacob. He is Yahweh our God. Psalm 146 verse 5 in the Bible is identical to the opening Lord's Day of our catechism. What is your only comfort? What is your only security in all of life? What is your help and hope? It's this, that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That, this is question two, that gives us joy. That makes us blessed. That's verse 5. Now the ring around it. The verses 3 to 4 and 6 through 9. There's no salvation in human authorities. Don't, says the psalm, don't put your trust in them. We've seen in November here in BC what a change of provincial government has meant. And given where things are at now, or rather where things have been at since March, the authorities have become more aware of, of what an appeal to higher authorities implies. That reminds me of the returned exiles. There's trouble over the rebuilding of the temple. There's a legal challenge by the returned exiles. There's a judgment by the Supreme Court in the person of King Darius. We've had a similar kind of experience here in BC. There was the charter challenge, and there was the variance COVID plan challenge. The provincial government was forced to consider its actions with respect to faith communities more carefully in the light of the law. And since late March, there has been a shift that acknowledged the special place of faith communities under the Constitution. But still, put no faith in princes or rulers, for with them there is no salvation. King Darius, yes, he had a different approach from King Artaxerxes, but Darius was just a human for a short while, worship happened, but then again there was resistance and things did come apart until God sent Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophet Malachi. And it's the same for us in BC or in Canada as a whole. If there's a change of guard, if there's another government, if there's another judge, things may all of a sudden become very different. Plans perish the day a person dies or gets sidelined. There's no strength, there's no help in human rulers. He'll die. There's no hope that his plans will continue. Someone else is not going to push their agenda, but their own. But then how different, how different is the Lord our God in whom is our help and hope? He doesn't die. He made all things. That's how powerful he is. And he keeps faith forever. Never does he forsake his own. Even though his own, his creatures might forsake him. He could, and he should, 
at least us humans who, who turned their backs on him. And God did forsake humanity when it comes to his son. But precisely because the Christ was forsaken by the one who keeps forever. You think on that. Christ was forsaken by the one who keeps faith forever. It just blows the mind to even try to imagine that. But because the Christ was forsaken by him, we can be sure that we'll never be forsaken by him. Indeed, he is the one who makes justice happen for the oppressed, those who can't make things right themselves. So true for the returned exiles. I'm sure they weren't all that sure that an appeal to King Darius was going to have a positive outcome. Just like we've never been sure about our appeals to the authorities, be it via letters, be it via legal action. And even now, we're, we're not sure whether what we did is actually at the back of what we've seen happen in the past few months. Though it does look like it. But God makes justice happen for the oppressed. He ensures their sustenance for those who stand in need of it. And while the plans of humans perish the day they die, all hopes dashed, the Lord comes through. And then seven proofs are listed by the psalmist. Seven of them. Boys and girls, seven. That's the Bible number for fullness. This is perfect. This is complete. What does God do? He sets prisoners free. He makes the blind to see. He raises those who are brought low. He loves the righteous. He watches over the outsiders in society. He upholds those who have no means themselves. And he destroys all evil. Seven. Now, boys and girls, seven is an odd number. That means there's a middle. What's the number in the middle of seven? One, two, three, seven, six, five. It's got to be four. What's number four in this list? The Lord loves the righteous. And it's important to note that one. Because it tells us that Psalm 146 is not preaching a social gospel. as so common in our world today. A social gospel that, that's teaching that God makes things well for the underdogs in society. No, Psalm 146 is preaching a covenantal gospel. For the righteous person is the one who goes in the ways of the Lord, who obeys the commandments, who is in a right relationship with God, who lives in the covenant. Now you might challenge this and say, well, hang on a minute. No one's righteous. And that's true. Not in their actions. There's no one in church here today who's perfect in love and loyalty. But the righteous are those whom God considers righteous. All our righteousness, it's found in Christ. In Christ, we are acceptable to God. Our hope and hope is in Christ. Because in Him, our sins are paid for. And in Him, we are set free from the power of the devil. And so that line, the Lord loves the righteous, that's about Christ loving God's people. For wasn't Christ the one who set the prisoners free? Who opened the eyes of the blind? Who lifted up those bowed down? Who watches over strangers? Who looks out for the widow and the fatherless? And who through his sacrifice destroyed the way of sin and Satan? As you sing your way through Psalm 146, which we'll do in a moment, don't just think of God the Father, but think specifically of this God is the Lord Jesus Christ. But hang on a minute. The Lord Jesus did die. Did his plans perish? No, they didn't. The disciples thought so. 
Those two people traveling to Emmaus, they said, we had hoped. Note the tense. We had hoped. Their hopes were dashed. But not so. For Christ lived on. He arose from the grave. His help and hope were in God, and God raised him from the dead to seat him on the cosmic throne at God's right hand. Which means that the final word, the ultimate authority, doesn't actually rest with a king Darius. Or for us today with a council chamber or a parliament that's filled with humans. Or a court that passes judgment. Or the officers who, who decide whether or not to enforce a law. The ultimate authority is in the hands of Christ our Lord, given to him by the Father. As scripture says, before him shall every knee bow. To him, every power shall have to give account. And that brings us to the bookends of the psalm. Those who are mere humans die, but the Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, that's addressed to God's people. That's addressed to the church. So church of God, understand it is your God who reigns from generation to generation. And hence, there's that hallelujah. You all are to praise the Lord means two things. First of all, it means that each of us individually is to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord as long as you live. Do sing praises to God while you have your being. The Lord is bringing us through a difficult time. He has preserved us in health. And if he has determined that COVID could be the portal from this life, as you know, my only funeral in Willoughby Heights so far has been a COVID funeral. We know that life continues. For you have being. Not just this side of the grave, but also beyond the grave. Just reminds me as an aside, last Friday, my wife and I went to see Hilda von Zandweg, and we expect that she'll pass this coming week. But praising God is not just an individual exercise. Zion is a community, a community of blessed individuals. And the first word and the last word of this psalm are in the plural. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. And so moving forward, let's not neglect to gather together in one place so that our voices may join each other in praising the Lord. For when voices are united, that's when our voices can shake the ground. That's when regardless of whether we're powerful singers or not, that's when we can rejoice in song together. That's when not just God can hear our song from a living room, but the world can hear our song. Praise be to our God, the Lord, our help and hope. It's good to be together. For the longest time, we were scattered as we worshipped God. But for two months now, we've, we've entered God's gates with praise, and within God's gates, we raise our voices. Brothers and sisters, don't take that for granted, but rejoice in it and let it continue. We can sing. We can sing together. Brothers and sisters, hallelujah. Y'all praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord our God, how good it is to sing your praises, to sing your praises together, to be just not, not, not just united in worship, but to be assembled in worship. Lord, we confess our help and hope is in you. We know ourselves to be like Jacob, often deceptive, frequently destitute, unsure, anxious, scared, 
But you're our God. And in knowing you, we are blessed. You are the Lord, keeping faith forever. We've got the proof of that, the evidence for this, and the gift of Christ as our Savior and Lord. Have us put our trust in you. Lord, we go on. Things have been restored, but humanly speaking, there continues so to be so much uncertainty. Case counts are mounting again. Restrictions, will they be reimposed? What will the future look like in life in general, but especially for us as churches? Lord, it's so natural for us humans to worry, for we know from experience how frail human life is. But have us put our trust in you. Have us believe in you and thus be blessed. Have us not be focused on the things of this life, life right now, this side of the grave. Have us be focused on that bigger picture that includes this life but goes much farther, the picture of your glory, the picture of living by faith in adversity and prosperity. Yes, cause us to have faith in your provisions for us from day to day. Grant us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. We know, Lord, that you'll hear us. We pray these things in the name of him who is the expression of your hope and faithfulness. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.